This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon. The unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC's Campfires is brought to you by DSC, Conservation, Education, and Hunter Advocacy. Hornady, Accurate, Deadly, Dependable. Trigicon, Brilliant Aiming Solutions. Taurus, Makers of the Raging Hunter Handgun. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, Double Nickel Taxidermy. Now here's your host, Larry Wysoon. Welcome to the campfire. It's that time of the year that all of us who love the outdoors have been waiting for all year long. Hunting seasons are open, and some have been for a while, including starting with the uh, local country area of South Carolina back in August, going into the northern seasons up in the far north, talking about in Alaska and Canada for various species up there, including moose and elk and caribou and sheep and black bear and all those other kind of great things that live in the far north that in the past I've had an opportunity to hunt and someday I would dearly love to go back to. I spent some time years ago in the far north of Alaska hunting moose and caribou and oh my God, what great memories that brings. Some of the most fantastic memories of that particular hunt though were sitting around around a little old dinky campfire, if you will, to uh, tell hunting stories of some of the other guys that are in camp. And to me, that's a real important point about this time of the year. It is hunting seasons. And yes, we're getting to hunt. Yes, we're getting to enjoy the outdoors. Yes, we're getting to harvest venison, put in our freezers, and to not only enjoy with ourselves, but with our families as well, too, all throughout the winter. We've still got a bunch more of that kind of time coming up. And we're going to visit a little bit about that as we move in to the future. I've got several hunts coming up that I'm really looking forward to, probably about the time that y'all will be getting this to listen to 
I will be in the Baja California part of Mexico. I've hunted exclusively the western, sorry, the eastern part of uh, Mexico, all the way from Tamaulipas to Nuevo León to Coahuila to Chihuahua to Sonora and down in Campeche and a few points in between, but never have had the opportunity to go to Baja. And this time I'm actually going to get to go. And, and by the time that you hear this, like I said, probably will be on that hunt. We're going to be hunting mule deer and hunting with Mr. John Landgraf. John is from the middle of Odessa area and is in various kinds of businesses out there. And for the last, good grief, five, six years, we've been trying to do a hunt together and finally happening now. So, uh kind of kick back and relax and we'll talk a little bit about that hunt when I get back or maybe even try to record some segments while we're in Baja and, and uh, with Armando Klein who's he was the outfitter and who we worked with quite a bit in the past on different hunts that have been donated to the DSC auction and also the DSC Foundation auction Armando's been a great supporter of DSC and DSC Foundation and of course other organizations such as Wild Sheep and, and a few of those other organizations as well too. And it, I think it's important that he does so. I think it's important that we all do so. Yes, I'm a firm, staunch, strong believer in DSC, but also belong to the Wall Sheep Foundation, the Mule Deer Foundation, and, and, and several other different type of species groups that do a great job for, for wildlife not only the targeted species, but uh, all the species that live within that habitat as well. Getting ready for this particular hunt, uh, it's outside where I live. Was This is being recorded. It's raining. And the rain brought to mind the fact that, hey, guys, We've got a segment called Conservation Today that's brought to us by Hayden Outdoors, the, the brand that sells land. And I know the guys from Hayden have had a chance to visit with them. We are got to spend a little time with uh, Dax Hayden up on uh, the Wyoming Lander's one-shot antelope hunt and visit with him and some of his agents up there. But know some of the other guys scattered around as well, too. And I think every one of them will tell you the importance of rainfall particularly in the western two-thirds of the U.S. You know, rain is so very important, and, and it seems like as of the last few years, we've kind of been more or less off and on in droughts, and I guess that's something we've always been when I really kind of think about it. You know, some of the western states, there's not a whole lot of rainfall, and the vegetation is designed for it to be that way. If you had too much rainfall, I'm not sure you'd get the growth uh, that we do, or maybe you get very rapid growth like we do sometimes in the brush country of South Texas. When it rains, you get tremendous rapid growth, but you don't get the nutritional value that you normally would. It may be a little bit more of a normal kind of a dry year because we can't ever forget that lots of Texas and lots of the West, it's basically a desert when you get right down to it in terms of rainfall, but rainfall is so very important. It it, it can make you a fabulous manager, if you will, as far as wildlife and as far as grass and, and uh, production of, of whatever it is that you're trying to grow out there for the wildlife to uh, to survive on and, of course, to provide water as well, too. With that in mind, one of the things that I would suggest you do 
if you're interested in buying land, is of course get in touch with the Hayden Outdoors. But those guys will also tell you that you may be looking at a piece of property that is at its worst in terms of having gone through a drought in terms of rainfall. That's really kind of a good time to look at it because if you look at it in a time of plenty, that's not necessarily always going to be the case. So when you get ready to buy that piece of property that you've been dreaming about for a long, long time, again, first of all, get in touch with Hayden Outdoors and then sit down with that Hayden Outdoors agent and ask them a little bit about what the normal rainfall is, what it's been like, what it looks like, that country, I'm dressing that particular chunk of country you're interested in, what it looks like in the very worst of years. I'm from a wildlife biologist who's set up a lot of different management programs on the over the years, that's something that I've always looked at is what is that country going to look like when we're in an extended drought? That's also when we've done any kind of management on that property is what we have managed for in terms of wildlife and animals that live there, be it cattle, sheep, goats, or native wild species, or introduced species. Is What is that country going to look like when you've not had a drop of rain for six, eight months? Is it still going to be able to support animals, and at what rate will it be able to do so? So get in touch with the Hayden Outdoor guys, and they'll be in. They'll shoot from the hip with you, and they'll shoot straight and honest with you as well, too. As I mentioned, we're hitting into hunting seasons, and to me, the hunting season generally refers to white-tailed deer, hunting white-tailed deer. In Texas, their archery season open October the, the 1st. Our MLD program, which is the Managed Land Permit Program, under which you work with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, you do surveys, they give you recommendations as what to be done with the habitat, but also recommend the number of bucks and does that are to be taken or removed off that property during the course of the upcoming hunting season. That season also starts on October the 1st. So I'm going to address white-tailed deer hunting a little bit more this time than, than, than anything else because it's something I truly enjoy and it's something that I get to do more of than hunt elk or hunt mule deer, although I have to admit mule deer is truly one of my favorite animals to hunt. But with white-tailed deer, we're hitting into that time frame right now in the end of October, end of November, when those animals particularly the bucks, are starting to approach the breeding seasons. And in some instances, in some places, there may already be some serious rutting activity going on. Two things control basically when the rut occurs, where it does in relationship to where you are in North America. That being is controlled extensively by the amount or decrease in daylight. As daylight decreases, the testosterone level goes up in bucks and the uh, estrogen level goes up in does as well, too. So that that's a big part of it right there. But then the reason the, the rut occurs where it does in the, an immediate area is so that generally seven and a half months, about 230 days, fawns are born at the most opportune time as far as vegetation and nutrition to give them a, a greater chance to survive. And uh, that's, that's really important. Fawn survival rate is something you always want to look at. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Pardon me. Whenever I'm looking at a property to hunt or to somebody else has asked me about it, what do you think about hunting this property? I want to know what's currently going on, but I also want to know what 
the font survival rate was like four, five, six, seven, eight years ago, or even two, two, three years ago, or for that matter, what it is this year. Because if you don't have a whole lot of funds, say four years ago, uh, or not a whole lot of them survive, guess what? They're not going to be very many four and a half year old deer in that deer herd. Same thing as if you go through like this past year, as we did in certain areas, we had a relatively low font survival rate. Guess what? Three, four, five, six years from now, they're not going to be very many three, four, five, six kind of age class bucks out there. So something you want to look at. I personally enjoy hunting mature deer, something you've heard me say numerous, numerous times over. The antlers are important. Of course they are. Body condition, absolutely paramount because I love venison and I have a bunch of friends and family that also like venison that kind of depend upon me to produce enough venison for them as well as my own family. So um, I'm looking at at conditions right now, but one of the things that I dearly love to do when it comes to hunting whitetail deer, of course, most of the time I try to hunt from the ground. I love hunting with my Taurus handguns and Hornady ammo topped with a Trigicon red dot sight. And then I've got numerous rifles that I hunt with, including several Remington 700s and including numerous Ruger number ones, which again, I dearly love. And, of course, they're topped with Trigicon, either the uh, Heron scope or the AccuPoint scope. And, of course, all the guns that I shoot, I use Hornady ammo for. And I get tickled sometimes. I recently did a post in one of my social media deals, and somebody came back and said, Yeah, if you were getting, if I was getting paid by Hornady, by golly, I'd... I'd support them as well, too. Well, I hate to tell you guys, but over the years, I've had the opportunity to use just about every kind of ammo there is as a writer, as a biologist, as a a sometimes hunting guide. I've gotten to see other people shoot different kinds of ammo. And every animal that I take or that I'm involved in, I want to see what that bullet did terminally when it hit that animal as well in terms of accuracy. And I can tell you the reason I use Hornet D is because as their little statement says, accurate, dependable, and deadly, and it covers all those three. I've, I've been more impressed with the Hornady ammo and, than I have any of the rest of them. So that's the reason I use their products It's because they are deadly, accurate, and dependable kind of thing in different variations thereof and how we want to space those words. Accurate, deadly, dependable, or dependable, accurate, or deadly. It didn't make a whole lot of difference. It still says the same, and it does they do what they say they're going to do. I know that if I do my part as far as bullet placement, that the horny bullets that I shoot from commercially horny ammo is going to do their part as well, too. So coming up on the hunting season, I've, I've, I've shot a couple of does. We talked a little bit about that in the podcast not very long ago with Brandon Houston when Brandon and I were out on the lease that I now have out in Sterling City with uh, Corey Mason's dad and Corey and, and several other people. But uh after this hunt that I get back from uh, out in Baja, I can't wait to get back to Whitetail. By then, the rut ought to be starting to get a little bit interesting in terms that the bucks ought to be moving a lot. They're starting to try to uh, start look for does, and, and uh, the rut may not be at the peak, but I love to rattle. 
And I'll t- love to take a set of rattling horns and just kind of take off across country. And one of the beauties of the lease that I'm involved in out there in Western Texas is that's something that I can do. There's substantial chunks of country between established deer stands. And yes, we do use feeders out there and as well, too, and baiting deer. But uh, for me, I love to just take off across country. I'll find out where people are in relationship to those to those stands, if anybody's in them. And then the beauty of it is, too, is there are great expanses there where there are no roads. Uh, it's just wild country, if you will, for a mile or two. And and so it's a lot of room for me to roam around in and, and do a little bit of scouting and do a, bit, a little bit of rattling here and there as well, too. And like I said, as we get into that time frame, I'm going to be spending a fair amount of time and got it set up where Brandon Houston is going to be with me a little bit. Brandon's going to be able to shoot a management buck out there on, on one of my quotas and then two he will be there doing a bunch of filming for us for some short projects that you'll be able to see through uh oh, our facebook and instagram accounts the larry wysoon uh, public page and larry wysoon outdoors and of course then too we're going to be filming for a tv show that i'm involved in have been for a while now and getting brand a little bit more involved in that uh called a sportsman's life on carbon tv so uh uh, kind of be looking for those coming up. The beauty of that carbon TV is, is that we can do a show today talking about filming it. And just as soon as we can get it edited, which usually takes a couple, three days, there's a good chance you may see that show at the end of the week. So that's something that I dearly love. And it being a weekly show, uh, oh my gosh, we can get out lots of material. Also looking at a couple of other special projects there at Carbon TV, maybe a uh, very limited edition of maybe eight or 10 shows and then waiting a while and coming back and doing another eight or 10. And I'm visiting a little bit there with the, uh, Miss Julie McQueen and, and uh, Miss Autumn there at, at uh, Carbon TV about such possibilities. And, of course, the beauty of it is, too, you can get to listen to this podcast there and on Carbon TV. And I have a bunch of blogs there as well, too. But kind of getting off the subject here a little bit, rattling. Gosh almighty, there is no finer way to take a whitetail buck or even see a whitetail buck and take it instead of rattling antlers and usually i call them rattling horns yes i know they're antlers and they're not horns but uh it's kind of hard to get off of some of the old things that we've called them for years which is not rattling antlers but rattling horns i've got a couple of sheds that i use that have been around for oh my gosh 30 plus years now that came off of a buck on tim schmidt's place in the texas hill country it was about a 150 typical 10 i saw the brow tines off and i've been using that same set of rattling horns with occasionally using some of the rattling forks that were out there, the artificial antlers, if you will, or artificial horns. But I keep coming back to those that same old set of uh, <laughs> of rattling horns that I've had for years that came off of Tim's place. With those, I've rattled up lots of different bucks over the years. I've had some days where, of course, I rattled and didn't rattle anything in. Had a time, too, where one time over uh, close to uh, out west of Fort Worth away on a big place, I hit the horns together for about three hours one morning and uh, really didn't leave that 
chunk of country very far. I mean, I may have moved maybe a hundred yards in the process of those three hours. And during that three hours, I ended up rattling up 42 different bucks. Some of them came back, but there were 42 different bucks that responded to rattling horns there. And again, this was open country. It wasn't high fence. It wasn't a pen. It wasn't anything of the sorts. They're just those bucks were moving. And uh, my gosh, it was one of those mornings where they just absolutely responded and kept responding and kept responding and kept responding. It was out of this world. We rattled up several really good bucks that morning. And and fortunately, or unfortunately, I should say, that they were a little bit on the young side. And, and uh, that was the unfortunate thing for me and the hunter I had with me. But the fortunate thing for the deer was they were young. So they got a pass. And as it worked out uh, later that afternoon, we got into another little mesquite flat. And I'm talking about an area that's relatively flat. There's has a lot of mesquites in it, little uh, thickets of mesquites, and got on the edge of it and got actually got in kind of in a little uh, cubby hole, if you will, that kind of went back into almost like the reverse of a peninsula, uh, extending back into this little thicket and hit the horns together. And this old buck came out, and he was a typical 10, and, and no doubt he had a big old neck and his floppy, flappy face, if you will, to where his jowls are hanging down. And, his old hawks were staying absolutely as dark as they could be. And, and uh, a hunter more or less kind of shot that buck in self-defense. He shot him as he was running toward him at about, when he finally pulled the trigger, I think he was only about six or seven steps away. He just almost ran into us even after he, he went down, kind of slid with his nose right up to us kind of thing. Kind of one of the more interesting bucks I've rattled in as far as having them come charging in like that. With rattling to start with, I will be just kind of tickling the horns together. Now, I learned something years ago watching deer, and that's the beauty of some of the things that I've got been been able to do in terms of dealing with deer where we had them in relatively small enclosures. And that gave me the opportunity to spend a lot of time observing them, how they act going in the rut, what do they do, how they fight, how long they fight, all those kind of things. But in the early part of the rut, the uh, bucks just about tail in that pre-rut, those bucks are walking around and they're going, taking a few steps and going, eh, and take a few steps and go, eh, maybe a few more steps and go, the beauty of it is deer are like people. Some of them have a gruff voice. Some of them have a very high-pitched voice. But as they're walking along, what they're doing, kind of stiff-legged a little bit, is they're advertising to all the does in, the, in that that can hear them going, I am the sweetest lover you'll ever have. Come find me. At the same time, it's like there's a buck out there that wants to come challenge me. Come on in. I'm ready for you. Well, they'll walk along and then they may visit a scrape. And if you ever watch some a buck make a scrape, very seldom, if ever, when they scrape with their left foot or their right front foot as they're urinating on their hawks there at that scrape, will they scrape more than three to five times with the left foot? three to five times with a right foot. Then they'll kind of nuzzle that limb a little bit with their mouth and kind of chew on the edge a little bit, rub their preorbital glands up along the, that place as well, too, where they've been kind of chewing on that overhanging limb. And then they may walk over to a bush or, uh, or rub and just go to rubbing. Next thing you know, another buck comes by there because several bucks will use the same scrape. It's kind of like sometimes if you see a vehicle parked out where there are a bunch of male dogs, male dog run over and pee on it, 
tire and the next one comes pee on it. It's kind of like exiting out the last one was there. Some of the same kind of thing goes on. A lot of times, too, when this happens with whitetails, when you get those two bucks together like that, they start circling each other and and looking at each other. Next thing you know, their hair is all standing on end and and, uh, their ears are laid back and their heads are up high and they're trying to show off their necks and their antlers and how tough they are. And about that time, one of those bucks will which is a snort wheeze. And right after that snort and wheeze, one of two things generally happens. One of the bucks will either lay down all the hair on his back, his ears will go forward, and he'll just kind of start walking away very nonchalantly like, you know, I really didn't think I wanted to fight this morning after all. Or those two bucks come together and they come together with great force and they'll fight and they'll fight and they'll grunt. And sometimes you can hear them when they're really fighting. They go, kind of sound but they'll keep fighting now i've seen mature bucks fight for as little as four or five seconds pull apart and one of them took took off running and the other one right behind him hook trying to hook him in the butt with his handlers you know kind of thing but i've also seen bucks just stand there and fight and fight and fight until they're almost out of breath and you can hear them going <sighs> Finally, one of them catches his breath. My God, the fight is on again. I've literally watched two equally matched, like four-year-old bucks fight for a grand total of four hours. Four hours. I've also watched two bucks one night get in a fight under a, 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 out, a light out in the country there behind our little old cabin and fight for eight solid hours. And they would fight and fight until the, both of them were just totally out of breath. And they just kind of stand there, lean against each other. And as soon as one of them caught its breath, the fight was on again. I seriously thought that those bucks were locked up, which does happen. However, in this instance, it didn't happen. I mean, they were just standing there with their heads together trying to catch their breath and neither one wanted to give in neither one wanted to give up because i'm sure the loser knew whoever that might be that if he turned to run as tired as he was he was going to get poked through the body or through the backside with with the antlers of the buck that thought he was the winner now when this winner runs out and chases his buck away a lot of times he'll run out there a little way and he'll do the same thing as he did to start with with the snort wheeze he'll go And that's like saying, buddy, if you want some more of me, come on back. Or is there any other buck out there that uh, that wants a piece of me? You know, come try me. That call I started doing many years ago, back in 1969, I was working with the Wildlife Disease Project, Department of Veterinary Pathology, and under contract with Texas Parks and Wild Department at Texas A&M University, where we had pen deer that we used for research purposes. And I listened to those bucks make that sound and watch them fight. And I started doing that years ago, and everybody laughed at me go oh my god you don't know what you're talking about well these days interestingly there are a lot of folks know about the snort wheeze before we get back to some of the rattling adventures i've had i just want to tell you that a lot of times if you get a buck that's walking and i know many of you out there that are deer hunters you sat in the stand or sat there and a buck comes walking by and you grunt at him and he pays no attention to you at all you you, you try everything he just slowly keeps walking away from you and you want him to stop either to get a shot or to get a better look at him nothing works if you'll do that 
snort weaves thing, one of two things will happen. Generally, he'll stop, turn around to look at you to see what buck is challenging. Now, if he's been in a fight and he's just been whipped, he is going to haul tail out of there like you can't believe, and you'll never see him again, quite frankly. If you do, it'll be a surprise. So remember that if you're trying to stop a deer, you can use that snort wheeze as well, too. And it works really, really well to do that. Or as I said, Buck's been a fight. He may all tail out of there quickly as he can. Now, with rattling, as I get into the fall a little bit more closely to the uh, peak of the rut, I'll continue rattling, but I'll get much more aggressive in my rattling. I'll make more noise like two bucks trying to really kill each other and pushing each other around, throwing each other down, trying to make as much noise as I possibly can. And I'll continue doing that. And I'll rattle for brief periods of time, like maybe 10 to 20 to 30 seconds. Stop, wait a little bit, do it again. If that works, I'll continue doing it. If that doesn't work, I'll continue working those antlers together, meshing those ties together for longer periods of time. And I'll keep doing something until I find whatever it is that those deer like at that point. Now, as far as when's the best day or the best time to rattle of that day is there are times I've had those ideal days in, in brush country, South Texas with a one-to-one buck doe ratio with a lot of bucks. Cold front has passed through. The wind's still slightly out of the north. It is cold. It's the right time of the year, the early part to middle part of December. I hit the horns together and nothing, nothing happens. I can see bucks sometimes and they won't even pick up their heads. That's at first light. By 8 o'clock, I'm still rattling again, either from a particular spot where I'm going to hunt from that day or just moving along. Hit the horns together being about 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. 1030 and hit the horns together again at 11 because at that point I still hadn't rattled up a buck but hit the horns together at 11 o'clock and from 11 till about 3 or 4 o'clock that afternoon every time the antlers come together there's a buck no matter where I'm set up they come in late in the afternoon again no deer moving as far as coming to rattling horns sometimes it works really early in the morning Sometimes it works in the mid-morning. Sometimes it works midday. Sometimes it works mid-afternoon. Sometimes it works really late. But if you're not rattling and you hit the horse together several times and nothing happens, you go, well, my shucks, this ain't working. You know, why, why am I messing around here? I'm going to scare everything off. Well, first of all, if you do it about every 30 to 40 minutes, even if you're sitting in a stand, you're not going to scare things off. If anything, uh, you got to realize that that is a very natural sound at that time when the bucks are are fighting and when they're coming in that in that rut crazed stage that they're in so rattled off and on throughout the day and again that includes sitting in a place a lot of times i'll find a place to sit that i know that there's a big buck in the area and about every 30 minutes or so 40 minutes i'll hit the horns together for a little bit that does several things for me. It, it keeps me interested in instead of thinking about, well, you know, oh my gosh, I, I got to go do this or I ought to be doing this. If I sit there and knowing that even if nothing has shown up in 30 to 40 minutes, I'm going to hit the antlers together, those horns together again. There's a good chance that a big old buck may come in. Also, too, a lot of times those bigger, older, mature bucks with big antlers have a tendency to respond slowly. Younger bucks, until the time they're about three years old, may they 
they might come charging in trying to knock you over and and hang around and yet some of those older bucks are they're, they're just a little bit warier they'll hang out there for a while and i've seen bucks stand where i had somebody rattling and i could see a little bit different areas that they couldn't i've had seen bucks come in and they almost always come in downwind and i use trhp outdoors scent guardian so those deer can't smell me <clears throat> or any of my equipment because i've applied it to it but they will always still come in maybe the circle downwind to just see if they can smell you deer pay attention to what they see and what they hear but they live and die by their nose and that's why it's so important to use products like particularly that product trhp outdoors is uh, scent guardian because of all the things i've ever tried whether they were commercially made, whether they're homemade remedies, whatever, I've never come across anything that works like that product does. And it, it works all the time, not just some of the time. So if you're going to be out hunting, you need to be spraying your clothes, your equipment, your hat, your boots, your gloves, and yourself down with, with uh, TRHP Outdoors' uh, Scent Guardian. So you're not going to be smelled by an animal if you do that. But I always set up where I can watch downwind and to the left or the right of me of directly downwind because I know those bucks are going to circle in from that direction and try to approach in. So I've got a shooting lane on the left of me. I've got a shooting lane on the right of me and I've got a shooting lane directly downwind of me. And and I, I shoot both left hand and right hand with a rifle and, and a and a handgun, and I use a set of uh, shooting sticks, a little tripod shooting sticks that Bogpod makes, and then uh, a rest that they call the wide body. Unfortunately, they don't make that anymore. And just like with a PSR rest that for pistols that are handguns that I swear by, can make anybody a decent shot. Unfortunately, Bogpod or Bog Gear, whatever they go by these days, has not had the. Uh, uh, to me, as far as I'm concerned, the good sense of producing those two particular rests. Hopefully, sometimes in the future, they will again do so. But uh, that way, if they approach from the left side or the right side, and I can get a shot before they get down when should I wish to do so. Rattling, as I said, is so much fun. And as the season is going on with the peak of the rut, I keep rattling. And I rattle aggressively during the peak of the rut. As that rut's starting to wane a little bit, I again keep rattling. But at the same time, I may not rattle as aggressively as I might have otherwise. The bucks are still fighting. But now it's just kind of fighting out of... uh, well, I can't. I can't be a wimp. I got to show this other buck that I, I've still got a little in me, and they'll kind of get together a little bit. And generally, those fights during the post rut, one of two things: they'll either last a very short time, or they'll last a really long time because that testosterone level is still just so really, really high that neither one wants to to give in. But uh, over the years, I've, I've rattled in many, many bucks in a lot of places. Uh, the more bucks you have in an area, the, the better the rattling is going to be because the chances of a buck hearing, if you've got a lot of bucks and hearing and being interested, is a whole lot better that they'll respond than if you've only got one or two bucks and and they or may or may not be interested. Now, buck doe ratio is important for that fact, but I also tell you that I've rattled in bucks in areas where they told me that uh, the buck to doe ratio was maybe one buck to every 12 to 15 does. It happens. It just doesn't happen as often as to where you have uh, uh, a really good, great number of bucks that will hear you. 
staying a place, something I missed. And that was one of the things I wanted to talk about, too, when I was saying about talking about staying and hunting from one blind, maybe up in a tree. That's how you hunt or with me down on the ground. <clears throat> Even if I'm traveling and rattling, meaning if I, it's, it's a, a, a rattle, stay for, for a while and then leave, go rattle someplace else. I always stay at least a minimum of 30 minutes, a minimum of 30 minutes after I finish rattling. Because as I mentioned earlier, sometimes the really old big bucks, they'll come in and they'll stand there and they'll stand there and they'll stand there. And really, if you were able to see them, the only thing you'd see was the wiggling maybe of their tail, the wrinkling of their nose and the twitching of their ears. Their body just stands there like a statue otherwise. And finally, they'll come in or they'll figure out there's something not quite right and they'll leave but whenever you rattle particularly if you're going to be kind of a run and gun kind of rattling thing you always want to stay at least 30 minutes after you finish rattling because it will pay off and I learned that the hard way because I wasn't a very patient rattler and I can can tell you so very many times where I rattled the horn several times gosh it looked like nothing was coming in or maybe a small one came in at the first time and then nothing and I sit there for another five or ten minutes after I quit rattling and then stand up and start to walk away. And when I did, there'd be the biggest buck in the property having been standing there looking at me where I couldn't see him. And all I saw was the turning of the deer, the tail going up and uh, see the antlers kind of bounce across the brush and disappear. So if I'd have stayed where I was, chances are pretty darn good. He'd probably turn to come in to me. So remember that when you're rattling. Over the years, I've rattled up all kinds of different things, too. I've rattled up coyotes. I've rattled up bobcats in Mexico. We've rattled up mountain lions. I've rattled up other hunters, which uh, kind of spooks me a little bit because some of these were in areas where there weren't supposed to be any other hunters. In one instance, I rattled up a poacher down in South Texas, and uh, uh, I was able to hold him to get him to the game warden, <laughs> and uh, the landowner filed suit against this guy somebody probably been slipping in this property as as a poacher in the past and and uh, we were able to get him caught simply because he came to rattling horns but uh I've, I've rattled up so many different things i rattled up a skunk one time i was with jay wayne fear dear friend of mine and we're up at hunting uh the old nail ranch which is up north of albany texas and on a ridge and my gosh i hit the horse together and sitting on a little ridge top there and, and all of a sudden looked up and here came this skunk at a dead run if you can imagine a skunk at a dead run coming right straight for us and fears i started backing up it, it and thankfully we didn't get sprayed but there was a few anxious moments there another time maybe it's just the fact that i was with fears but uh the first time wayne came down he and current wife at the time we took him to a place in south texas and, and she had never seen a buck rattled up and so the entirety of the hunt i had tried and tried and tried to rattle up deer and nothing would respond not even a doe because sometimes does do respond and generally when they do there's usually a really old buck or a young buck on her tail and i'm convinced that they're coming to the sound of that rattling horns the doe is or the does are to try to get this deer that's following them in a fight or maybe just check out to see what the what the local talent looks like that she has not yet seen kind of thing so uh anyway that with with fears uh 
we and his wife, we were at a spot. It came down to the last afternoon, and uh, I'd been holding this one spot back. It's really, it was a big thicket, kind of a, a close to an old dry creek bottom. And inside of this thing, there's probably about a, maybe a th- oh, maybe a quarter of an acre, about the size of, of most people's house and yard area that was kind of in the middle of it. And every time in years past that I had rattled there, I had always rattled up a buck. So it's kind of keeping that as my ace in the hole and got down to the last afternoon. And, and I thought, well, if we're going to get it done, we better go get that creek bottom thicket slipped in there and it was one of those afternoons when it was relatively quiet the slightest of breezes a little bit out of the north temperature was probably in the 50s 40s maybe upper 40s and to me the rut was going strong and uh, or just about to kick off going strong actually and and uh, i slipped in there and set up got them just to the left or right of me and and i got probably about three steps behind them so they'd have full swing when the deer came in and sat there and I waited for a while that the cricket started coming back the birds started chirping and all those kind of good things bringing nature sounds back together again and I waited a bit longer and I took those antlers and I barely kind of rubbed a bush a little bit and I did another bush and then made a snort wheeze and about the time I made that snort wheeze I hit those horns together and I started rattling back and forth and making noise and kicking brush and making as much noise as I can trying to sound like two big on mature bucks trying to absolutely kill each other and off in the distance through the brush I caught movement coming our way and it was I could not tell what it was i just caught a flash or something and but oh my gosh finally 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 i'm gonna have a here comes a white tail buck i am gonna get to show her that it's not just a figment of somebody's imagination or just a texas myth about rattling up bucks and man i'm working those antlers and i'm looking around trying to see if there's another buck coming in and about that time in flies this fighting rooster he lands on a stump (laughs) <laughs> about four or five feet in front of us and go and crows <laughs> oh my gosh I thought Fears was going to wet his britches from laughing his ex-wife on the other side got his got into hysterics laughing. Of course, the more we laughed, they laughed. Of course, I wasn't laughing at that point, but the more they laughed, the more the rooster crowed. And and for a little bit there, I thought she was going to shoot that rooster just out of spite. Found out later somebody had dropped a fighting rooster, which was not uncommon down in that part of South Texas and uh, close to our property. And this fighting rooster, when he heard the, the, the rattling and the grunts, maybe he thought it was, it was a feed bucket being rattled out. I have no idea, but what, for whatever reason, it wanted company, and it stayed right there for about three or four minutes. Unfortunately, that was one of those trips where I never did rattle up a buck for either one of them, but thankfully, they came back about two weeks later, and, and uh, we got covered up with deer every time we hit the horns together, which sometimes happens. Sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't, and I guess sometimes you rattle up a fighting rooster kind of thing, so uh, a crow would fighting rooster at that. 
rattling is a lot of fun regardless of where you do it how you do it try different things try rattling soft try rattling hard try rattling short periods of time try rattling long periods of time make a lot of noise make a little noise keep rattling it till you find something that works for you on that given day and don't be afraid to rattle off and on throughout the day because as I mentioned earlier, sometimes they respond midday, sometimes mid-morning, sometimes early, sometimes late. But you'll never know if you hit the horns together. If you don't hit the horns together during those odd periods of time, you, you may think you hit the horns together at the perfect time and nothing happens. Therefore, it doesn't work. You might be surprised. Hope that you'll join us right back here next time. Uh, no telling where we'll head with this. I've got Dr. Mike Arnold coming back up again and a bunch of other dear old friends that I want to bring up. We'll have something from, from uh, I'm sure, from out uh, down in Baja. And, and uh, but mention Dr. Arnold's name because he's such an interesting individual and, and uh, found out recently by reading a issue sports field he'd been down in in the yucatan and on or actually probably over uh, in campeche hunting brocket deer both the red deer brocket deer which is extremely wary and the gray or brown brocket deer which is a little bit more plentiful but hopefully i can get him to talk a little bit about that and then talk have him talk a lot about some of the recent trip that he did to uh to africa and envision with some of the local people there about wildlife management, how wildlife should be managed by those individuals who live in the country rather than decisions being made by somebody who does not know what's really truly going on. So hope you'll join me when Dr. Arnold comes back and all the other great guests that we got coming up and maybe a few other hunting stories that kind of develop throughout the, the rest of the hunting season. But I want to take this opportunity take this opportunity to to wish you the very best of successes hope you have a great hunting season a safe hunting season and while you're out there i know you're going to make many memories we'll see you right back here next week thanks for joining us around the campfire to leave a comment or suggestion for an upcoming episode go to instagram at larry wysoon outdoors please join me right here next week for another dsc's campfires DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon has also been brought to you by The Crown Bar in LaGrange, Texas, H3 Whitetail Solutions, Remington, Texas Wildlife Association, TRHP Outdoors, 